Today we read from Ecclesiastes 4, 7-12 and 5, 1-7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom Am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God... Do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you into sin. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Thank you, David. Good morning. I had the joy of spending several hours with my next-door neighbor, Anne. She's 102 years old, and I love her dearly. She's in hospice care now, uh, full-time, and I went over there uh, this week, and and we just started to reminisce, and I actually brought her a few things uh, from Jerusalem, uh, just, uh, again, because I love her, and she loves the Lord, and uh, so it was a real joy for her uh, to think about uh, Israel and her God. And we just spent time talking about life, and I, I was reminding her of of Caleb's headed off to college, and I go, Andy, remember, remember when, uh, remember when, um, well, that just hit me. <laughs> remember when I brought Caleb over, and he was just born, and and you got to hold them, and she lit up with the memory. She's been through a lot of life with us as our next door neighbors, and we've shared a lot. And we were talking about Bill, her husband, who had passed away 18 years prior. And, and just the great memories of him, what a good husband he was. And, 
And, uh, and one thing she said to me that kind of stuck in my brain, she goes, you know what, life was better when Bill was around. It just was much deeper. It had meaning. And I agreed with her. They had a sweet marriage. And for many years, uh, as, we, as we were next-door neighbors, they had a four-foot fence that was uh, looked into their backyard. And so Bill and Ann would be out there, and in the morning they would have coffee. And so I, like a nosy neighbor, would always come over and, and check on them and talk over the four-foot fence. And we would enjoy conversation, and we would share stories, and, and I'm sure they thought I was stalking them often, because I'd be there a lot. I just liked them very much. And then one day, they built a white vinyl six-foot fence. I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> but our interactions became much less, which saddened me. And I was thinking about those things. I was thinking about our life sharing the other, the other day. And, and quite honestly, I thought, doggone it, I hate that stupid six-foot fence. Cut off a lot of our interactions, time together, communication. Anne's lived for 18 years alone now. Her, her son died, her husband died. And what sticks in my brain about her is that statement, life was... Much better when Bill was around. You know what? We are created for relationship. And yet we're moving more and more in the direction of isolation and loneliness. And we're putting up all these stupid six-foot fences everywhere. And that's not what God intended. The truth is, two are better than one. Let's pray this morning as God teaches us that. Father, you are a God who is a God of relationship. Within yourself, you're a God of relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and how there is incredible love there and community. And you've tried to teach us that as a people, to be in relationship and to have joy in relationship and to have life in relationship. And Father, forgive us when we isolate, when we run away. And help us to draw near to one another as we draw near to you, Father. I pray that you will minister to us this morning. I pray that you will answer our prayers of, uh, for many of us, a, a, just a desire for friendships. And that you would meet us there. That you would provide friends so that we can experience that two are better than one. So, Father, bless this body with good friendships, I pray. In your precious name. Amen. You know, one of the things for us as a community is, is we, we got to ask ourselves, you know, do we worship our privacy? Do we really long for it? Is most of our day, I can't wait to get home and be alone. It's kind of a generation that we're seeing that. Ralph Keyes, who's the author of The Lonely People, he says, Above all else, we Americans, we value mobility and we value convenience And we value privacy. And of all these, he adds, privacy is our most cherished value that we have. But privacy is relatively a modern thing. Historian Jacob Buchart says this, Before the Renaissance, Western man was barely aware of himself as an individual. 
Mostly, he drew his identity from a membership in groups. He was part of a family or a tribe or a church or a guild. There was always that community aspect. According to Marshall McLuhan, he said it took the invention of print to tear us away from our tribes and plant the dream of isolation in our brains. Which I suppose, he says, is another way of saying that most of us would rather curl up all alone with a book than with another person. We are isolated that way. And in print, how many families do you know where the newspaper was up and there was no connection with the person across the table from you? We live in a world where we have hundreds of friends on Facebook, but we have no real friends at all. We live in a world where we can't communicate with each other face-to-face anymore. Our phones are becoming our friends, and our phones are becoming the only way we communicate. And usually through text. We don't even talk to each other anymore. Our lives are spent on computer screens, and for millions they're caught up with images on screens of false relationships, and yet they sit in their room all alone and empty. We've put an incredibly high value on our pets And don't get me wrong, pets are a beautiful gift. They bring a lot of joy to the family. I'm thankful that God created them. However, they are not created in the image of God. They're not people. And they shouldn't take place of us pursuing relationships with humans, with flesh and blood. We're becoming a people that don't know how to communicate with one another in the flesh. But God never intended it to be that way. From the beginning, do you remember in Genesis, as God created everything in perfection, there was one thing that he said is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And that's not just a marriage statement. That's a relationship statement. It is not good for man to be alone. Adam was naming all the animals. That wasn't satisfying to him. It is not good for man to be alone. We should not be isolated. We need to stop hiding out. And we need to seek new friendships. God wants us to enjoy that. And we need to pray for new friendships. Lord, would you give me a friend? I'm lonely right now. Would you provide someone? Would you help me? There's an old statement to have a friend, you must be a friend. I think that's a good statement. We have to make some effort as well. We can't just expect people to come to us when we long for friendship. Be a person who reaches out and loves and cares about somebody and allow a friendship to blossom. You see, Solomon, as he's beginning and as he's writing in Ecclesiastes 4, he sees something that's very devastating to him about this loneliness. There was a man who's all alone. He's he's in the in the fields, and he's working hard, and he says there's no toil, there's an end, no end to his toil, and it's overwhelming, and he's miserable. This is all meaningless under the sun. He had nobody to work with him. He had nobody who he was going to pass on his business to, no sons, no family. He's all alone. And Solomon realizes what a miserable state to be in. What an awful place to be. This is so meaningless. It's such a vapor. It has no value. 
Why are we doing all this toil? And then he makes this statement, two are better than one. Well, why are two better than one? There's an old Swedish motto. It says, shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. I think that's a beautiful statement. Two are better than one. Again, it's not a marriage statement. It's a relationship statement. To walk through life together. To experience God together. And so Solomon in his scripture says, there's several reasons that I see why two are better than one. One reason is they have good return for their work. The Living Bible says that the results can be much better. I appreciate what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, we gain perspective by having somebody at our side. We gain objectivity. We gain courage in threatening situations. By having others near tempers our dogmatism. It softens our intolerance. We gain another opinion. We gain what in today's world we call input into our lives. In other words, it's better not to work or live one's life all alone. It's better not to minister all alone. There's a reason why Jesus sent them out two by two, right? He knew what was going on. He knew our need for each other. It's better, Swindoll says, to have someone along our side with us in battle. And he says, for that reason, during my days in the Marines, we were taught when we got the command, dig in. When that was issued, we would dig a hole that was large enough for two. You have a better return. The results can be much better, Solomon is saying. In verse 10, he says, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. It's the idea of encouraging one another when a person is weak. When they fall and when they're frail. Woe to the person who falls and there is no one there. Basically, when he used that word woe, he's like, God, help us. If there's nobody there to pick us up. My neighbor, Ann, she started to get weaker in her older age. And one day I was in the backyard watering the flowers and, and I hear a cry for help. And so, again, they had this stupid six-foot fence. But in God's strength, I just, I just jumped over that fence, got a hold of the, ri- the ridge of the fence and popped over that thing. I kind of broke it a little bit on the way over. But there was Ann. She had fallen and she couldn't get up. She was stuck. Her hips were too weak. And so I lifted her up and carried her to her favorite chair that she loves. And, and then we called for help and got her checked out. There was actually many times I did that with Anne. Woe to the one who falls and has nobody there to pick them up. Two are better than one in this life. Let's stop being isolated and seeking our privacy all the time. It's fine to take moments of just rest and you need some time away. But as a lifestyle, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be individuals in this journey. Two are better 
than one. Two are better than one, verse 11. If they lie down together, they will keep warm. Oftentimes, again, we try to take this literally, and it is true in the cold desert when you lie down at nighttime, it gets really cold and your body heat would warm each other up. We often think again of marriage, and it's true on a cold winter night, if you're together as a couple, you keep warm together. Unless you're like my wife, who can't keep warm unless she has her heating pad on 10. I know there's many of you out there like that. And she definitely hogs all the blankets to keep warm. Two are better than one as we lay. And what it's really saying is that we support each other when we're vulnerable. When we lie down, we're exposed to the elements. We can't change the conditions. We're unguarded. Can you think of some vulnerable times in your life? Maybe in the unemployment line. Maybe in the bed at the hospital. Maybe when you had to go to court. Two are better than one because we warm each other up. We take care of each other when we're vulnerable. We minister to one another. I was thinking about it spiritually, about warming each other up. And, you know, here's the reality on our faith journey. And you have probably been like me, that there's times in your faith journey where you are just, you grow cold. You're struggling with the Lord. You're struggling with what's going on. Your relationship with God is pretty weak. And you're cold. And then you become vulnerable to all kinds of stuff. Spiritual attack, especially. Two are better than one. When they come alongside and they encourage each other in the Lord and remind them of the Lord's goodness. And minister with them and and pray with them together, fighting the attacks... Paul says to young Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that are given to you. Timothy was scared to death. Stepping out and leading. Paul ministered to him. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. You see, many times along the journey, there would be attack along the road, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. I was mugged in London at Knife Point. And everybody stood around and watched as the guys took my money, as I faced the attack. Nobody had my back on that one. I sat with a friend the other day who had several tattoos, and he told me about a tattoo that I couldn't see. It was on his back. He says, I have a a cross on my back. And he goes, you know why I put it there? I go, no, tell me. Tell me the story. Because I put it there to remind me that Jesus has my back. And I said to him, I go, you know what? I go, that's a beautiful thing. And you know what's even better? When Jesus gives you friends who have your back. That's what we need to be for each other. Have each other's back. When we're vulnerable, when we're weak, to encourage each other. To help us through the spiritual trial. When there's spiritual attack that we recognize it and we fight against the spiritual attack. This isn't a battle against flesh and blood. There is an enemy who's out to get us, and we need to enter in together and to pray for one another, to lift each other's arms up in this journey. Two are better than one, and then he goes on, but a cord of three strands is not easily or quickly broken. Now right away, we'll go, well, that third strand is Jesus. 
And you know what? That, that can be totally true. And that's a, that's a good, good uh, spiritual truth, that Jesus right in the middle with us, boy, that makes a, a strong bind. It's not easily broken. And a lot of times, again, we use this as a wonderful marriage passage that it's wife and husband, and we have Jesus in the middle, and you can't break that. And again, that's beautiful. But I think in context, it's really just dealing with the journey of life. And in this case, kind of the attack along the journey. And what it's really saying, I believe, is that three are better than two. It's better to have more relationship along this journey together. You become strong together. It's not quickly or easily broken as you're going along the way. And so ask the Lord for friends in your life. And the more friends in the Lord, the better, the stronger, as you journey in this faith journey together. And obviously, if Christ is in the middle of that, boy, that's a powerful bond. And so we pray for that. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. That's a strong bond. Strength in the battle, especially the spiritual battles. Prayer for victory right in the middle of the journey. And so let's be a strong bond for one another. We see in scriptures these wonderful friendships that were developed. And we should be a people who, again, are developing. To be a friend, to have a friend, you must be a friend. Allow God to bring people into your life. Don't just shut people out because they're a little different than you. Allow people to come into your life and, and be a strength for you. You know, in, in Kings, we see Elijah. He was one of the greatest prophets of all. He faces the Baal prophets on Mount Carmel. We were just there recently in Israel. Calls down fire from God. He wipes out the Baal prophets. Great victory. Jezebel says, listen, Elijah, this is going to be your last day on planet Earth. I am going to kill you. And so he takes off fleeing, right? Finds himself under a bush. Really wants, is like, Lord, just take my life. This is miserable. He's really in a dark place. The Lord doesn't come down and attack him. Say, come on, Elijah, get your stuff together. You know what the Lord does? He ministers to him right there under the bush. Feeds him. Helps him to get nourishment again. Loves him up. And then what the Lord does in the middle of the journey where Elijah is struggling, he brings him Elisha who will be the next great prophet. It says in 1 Kings 19, And Elisha walked with Elijah, and he ministered to him along the way. You see, that's what good friendship is. That's what building a strand of three cords becomes about loving one another and building. Two are better than one. Let's move into the area of worship into chapter 5. Two are better than one. Here's why. Because we see God in one another. It draws us to worship the Lord together. Two are better than one in worship because we see God in each other. We see Christ in one another. And therefore, it draws us to the Lord in worship with one another. There's a great book by C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, and there's an essay that he did entitled 
friendship. And Tim Keller comments about it, and he says, you know, as, as Christians, we, we cannot survive without a family of believers, without a, a sense of place. And he talks, Tim Keller talks about C.S. Lewis. And he says, you know, C.S. Lewis had a famous circle of friends, the Inklings. Tolkien was part of that. Charles Williams was part of that. And Charles Williams died unexpectedly. And Lewis writes a reflection of what life was like with the loss of his friend, Charles Williams. And he quotes this, C.S. Lewis does in the book, The Four Loves. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out of that person. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights to show, other than my own, all the facets of that other friend. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Tolkien, because I have him to myself now, now that Charles is away, I have less of Tolkien. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness to resemblance, to heaven itself where the very multitude of the blessed is, which no man can number. It increases the fruition which each of us has with God for every soul seeing Him in her own way. What it does, it communicates the unique vision to all the rest. That, says the old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying out, Holy, holy, holy to one another. The more thus we share in heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Keller responds to that saying, it took a community, it took a community to know the individual. How much more would this be true of Jesus Christ, of knowing him? That together as a community, we see Christ in each other. And we are drawn to worship him. You see, two are better than one as we draw near in worship. Solomon, the preacher, he takes his eyes off in chapter 5, off this horizontal living, off this life that is under the sun, and he starts to focus on the holy. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near and listen. It is better to do that than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they know that they're not even doing evil. When dreams come in and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. The image that he's laying out is, is coming to the temple, is, is coming to worship. And I have some images of the southern steps of, in Israel, of going to Israel to worship God as they would walk up the steps. This is actually the bedrock of the steps coming up. And what it's really saying is this. As we're coming to worship, and it's so much better when we worship together, as we come, be aware, be alert, be ready. 
start to draw near and prepare your hearts for what the Lord is doing. Draw near to Him. Come in a way that your heart is ready to hear the words of God. Draw near in a way that you are saying as you come on Sunday morning, I want to come into the very presence of God to hear what He has for me. You know, they say the story of these stairs is this, that they built the stairs extra wide. And the reason that they did that is so you couldn't just run up into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. That you had to take your time. That you had to be thoughtful as you're coming. Guard your steps as you're coming to worship God. For us on Sunday mornings, that means really be thoughtful as you're coming here to worship the Lord. I know sometimes it's hectic getting out of the house. I understand that. But start to say, okay, family, we need to calm our hearts before the Lord. Let's stop arguing with one another. Let's just stop and pray. We're going now to the place of worship. And let's be prepared. Let's arrive in time to just sit and meditate. Let's not be rushing through the doors five minutes after church starts. Really. We need to be a people prepared. Because you're coming in and you're hearing the very words of God and He's going to do an incredible work in our hearts. It's not because Rod or Jackson's up here. It's it's because God is speaking to you His very words of the Scriptures. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Piercing division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him, which we must give an account. In a book called The Search for Excellence, a famous book in business, Thomas Peters and Robert Waterman, they looked at the greatest American companies and why they were so successful. And they went to the core of the matter. What is it that that these companies always have incredible success and they're leading the industry in whatever industry they're in? And they came up with this. Excellent companies were, above all, brilliant on the basics. Tools did not substitute for thinking. Intellect didn't overpower wisdom. Analysis didn't impede action. Rather, these companies worked hard to keep simple things in a complex world. They were brilliant on the basics. They were simple in a complex world. Isn't it amazing... Number one bestseller in the world, the Bible, keeps ministering to people. Why? Because it's simple on the basics. It goes right to the core. It cuts to the heart. It's not anything anybody else can do. The Word of God is living and active. And when you come on Sunday mornings and the Word of God is speaking to you, it is exposing you. It's exposing your thoughts and your your heart and your mind and it's opening you up to hear what God needs to teach you about Himself. And we draw into worship as we enter in with Him. It pierces, it judges And when we come together in corporate worship, here's the cool thing. As God is speaking to us and ministering to our hearts, then we come together and worship, and then after we hear from the Lord, then we get to share with each other. This is what God is doing in me. 
And then we've got to come along each other's side. Two are better than one because we grow in our worship of God together. Don't hold on to what God's teaching you on Sunday morning in worship. Share that with one another and then lift each other's burdens up and lift each other's areas where you're weak and thank God together for what He's doing in your life. We come to worship as we sing these songs together that our hearts are drawn to the heart of God. He exposes us. He lays us bare. Come and be silent. Like the song we sang this morning. Don't put out so many words. Come ready to hear. Because God is speaking to you. That's just the truth. Through the Holy Spirit. Because His Word is living and active. He is speaking to you. It doesn't matter if I'm a great pastor or not. He's speaking to you. Because that's who God is. You see, God is in heaven. We're on earth. God's in control. God's the one who's shaping your lives. It's not Rod or Jackson or any other teacher up here. It's God who's doing that. He uses us broken vessels to bring his truth to you. Let him speak to you. But be prepared. Don't come in with all kinds of frazzled minds. Right in the middle, if you come in here frazzled, say, Lord, calm my heart and my mind. Because I want to hear from you. Derek Kidner says, we, we oftentimes come here and we're singing and we're praying. And all we're doing is we're verbal doodling. We're verbal doodling. We're not even thinking about what we're saying, praying, or what we're speaking or singing in the song. Our, our minds are just doodling. It says, prepare your heart and mind. And here's the joy. When we come into worship together... We get to see Christ in one another, and we get to draw close to our Lord together. And two are truly better than one in this community of life together. Let's pray. Father, we adore you, and we don't want our words to be many. We want to hear from you this morning. And Father, I really do pray for our friendships in this church family. Forgive us, Father, if we're not reaching out to one another. Forgive us if we're, we're uh, seeking to be isolated. Help us to step outside of ourselves so that we may enjoy sweet fellowship. And as we enjoy sweet fellowship together, that we may worship you. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.